Prudent Penelope then spoke answering words and addressed him. May this word now, stranger and friend, be brought to fulfillment. Thereupon you would at once be aware of my love and of many presents from me, so that someone who met you would call you blessed. But in my heart it seems to me this will be how it will happen. Neither again to his home will Odysseus return, nor will you find any escort, since here in the household are no such masters such as Odysseus was among men, if he ever existed, who could dispatch respectable strangers as well as receive them. But come, maidservants, give him a wash, lay down for him bedding, bedstead first, then mantles and covers of shimmering fabric, so that sufficiently warm he arrives at the dawn of the gold throne. Then, very early at dawn, you will give him a bath and anoint him, so that within, at Telemachus' side, he may think of his dinner as he sits in the palace, and it will be painful to any spirit destroyer among them who troubles him. He will accomplish nothing at all any more, even if he is dreadfully angry. Otherwise, how would you learn of me, stranger, if I, among other women, am most outstanding in mind and in circumspect counsel, if you, squalid and dirty and dressed in the vilest of garments, sit in the palace to dine, men flourish the briefest of seasons. When some person is heartless himself and his thinking is heartless, then all people invoke on in him curses for pain in his future while he is living, and when he is dead, all mock and deride him. But when a person is faultless himself, and his thinking is faultless, then do his guest friends carry his fame far abroad to remotest regions among all people, and many men say he is noble. Speaking to her then answered Odysseus of many devices, Honored and virtuous wife of the son of Laertes, Odysseus, Hateful to me such mantles and covers of shimmering fabric ever have been, since first from the snow-clad mountains of Crete I took my leave when I went on board of the long-oared galley. I will lie down as before, those nights I passed without sleeping. For in fact there was many a night in a comfortless bed I passed, and I lay there awaiting the dawn, resplendent and fair-throned. Neither to me in my heart such water for washing the feet is pleasing at all, nor upon these feet of mine shall any woman lay her hands among those who are working for you in the household, not unless there is an elderly woman, astute and devoted, one who has suffered in spirit as many afflictions as I have. Then, if she laid her hands on my feet, I would make no objection." Prudent Penelope then spoke answering words and addressed him. Stranger and friend, for a man so thoughtful has never arrived more welcome to me of the strangers who came from abroad to my household, so very wisely do you speak thoughtfully all that you utter. There is indeed an old woman of mine with a mind full of counsel, she who tended and nursed that man so unhappy and reared him, after receiving him into her hands when his mother first bore him. She will be washing your feet, although her strength is but feeble. But come now, stand up, Eurycleia, sagacious and prudent. Wash this man the same age as your master. And doubtless Odysseus now already is such in his feet, in his hands such also. For in affliction do mortals become more rapidly aged. So did she say, 
Then, holding her face in her hands, the old woman shed hot tears from her eyes, and the word she spoke was of mourning. Ah, me, child, I am helpless to succor you. Surely above all men Zeus hated you most, though you had a God-fearing spirit. Since no one among mortals to Zeus, the great thunderbolt hurler, ever has burnt fat thigh bones or hecatombs chosen in such great numbers as those you presented to him as you prayed that you might reach old age, sleek and contented, and raise your son to be noble. Only from you has he now quite taken your day of returning. Thus him too, I suppose, have the women of faraway strangers mocked and derided whenever he came to their glorious houses, just as at you these bitches are all of them mocking and jeering, so that you now, to avoid their insults and many reproaches, do not allow them to wash you, but willing I am, and am asked by noble Icaria's daughter, Penelope, thoughtful and prudent, so I will wash your feet for Penelope's sake, and as well for your own sake, for the heart inside of my breast is aroused by sorrowing. But come now, pay heed to the word I address you. Many the strangers have been long-suffering who have arrived here, yet I am sure I have never before seen one who resembles him as in body, in voice, and in feet you resemble Odysseus. Speaking to her then answered Odysseus of many devices. So do they say, old woman, whoever have seen with their own eyes both that man and myself, that indeed we closely resemble each to the other, as you have yourself just noticed and told me. So he spoke. The old woman then took up a glittering basin, which she used in foot washing and poured in plenty of water. Cold to begin, then added the hot to it. Meanwhile, Odysseus stayed in his seat by the hearth, then quickly he turned to the darkness, for in his heart he suddenly thought that as soon as she touched him, she would discover his scar, and the facts of the case would be open. Coming up close, she was washing her master, and quickly discovered that very scar which a boar inflicted on him with its white tusk, when to Autolycus once and his sons he had gone to Parnassus. He was his mother's illustrious father, excelling all men in thieving and sly oath-taking. To him the god Hermes himself had given the talent, for he had been pleased by the thigh-bones the man had burnt him, of lambs and of kids, and was eager to show him his favor. Once Autolycus journeyed to Ithaca's fertile dominions. There he found that a child had been recently born to his daughter. Then, as her father had finished the meal, Eurycleia had laid her offspring down on his knees and said these words, calling upon him. Now, Autolycus, find for yourself some name to bestow on this dear child of your child. He is one who has been much prayed for. Then, in answer to her, Autolycus spoke and addressed them. Son-in-law and my daughter, bestow this name that I tell you. Seeing that I, who have come here now, am detested by many, odious on the much-nourishing earth both to men and to women, so let his name be Odysseus the Odious. But as to my part, when he reaches adulthood and comes to the house of his mother's family there on Parnassus, in which I keep my possessions, many of these I will give him, 
and send him back to you happy. Thus came Odysseus, that he might give him the glorious presence. Him Autolycus welcomed, the sons of Autolycus also, taking his hand in their own, and addressing him words of affection. Old Amphitheia, his mother's mother, embracing Odysseus, gave him a kiss on his head and on both of his beautiful bright eyes. Then Autolycus called to his glorious sons and commanded them to make ready the meal. They listened to what he was urging. Straightway an ox, a male five years old, they led in the dwelling, flayed it and got it prepared, dismembering all of the carcass, skillfully cutting it up, on stakes they spitted the pieces, then they carefully roasted the meat and divided the portions. So it was that for that whole day till the hour of the sunset they dined, nor of the well-shared meal were their hearts at all wanting. Soon as the sun went down and the shadows of night came upon them, then they lay down to rest and accepted the present of slumber. Soon as the dawn shone forth, rose-fingered, at earliest daybreak, they set forth to go hunting, the dogs and the men themselves, those sons of Autolycus. Noble Odysseus as well went along with them, and together they came to the steep high mount of Parnassos, mantled in forest, and swiftly the windy ravines they ascended. Helios, then, was beginning to strike at the plowlands, arisen out of the silently flowing abysmal stream of the ocean, when at a forested canyon the beaters arrived, and before them, tracking the quarry, the dogs were advancing, and after them came those sons of Autolycus. Noble Odysseus as well went along with them, much nearer the dogs, a long shadowing spear he was shaking. There in the thick undergrowth of a copse was a huge boar lying. This no watery might of the blustering winds ever blew through, nor with its beams did the radiant sun ever strike to the bottom, nor did the rain penetrate it all of the way, for it was so thick, inside an enormous abundance of leaves had collected. But to the boar came noise from the feet of the dogs and the huntsmen, as upon him they were driving, against them out of the thicket bristling the hair on his back, and the fire in his eyes bright glaring, he stood close to the huntsmen, the first of them all was Odysseus, rushing the boar, while lifting his long spear high in his stout hand, eager to deal him a wound. But the boar got ahead of him, striking over the knee, and he scooped out much of the flesh with a tusk by thrusting obliquely at him, though he did not reach the man's thigh bone. Hitting him on the right shoulder, Odysseus wounded the creature, so that the point of the glittering spear passed onward and through him. Squealing, he dropped in the dust, and the life-breath flew from his body. First with the boar the dear sons of Autolycus busied themselves, then skillfully bound up the wound of Odysseus, faultless and godlike, while they were holding his dark blood back with an incantation sung on it. Quickly they went to the dwelling of their dear father. Him Autolycus healed, and the sons of Autolycus also, excellently, and providing him then with glorious presence, speedily sent him rejoicing away to his own dear country, Ithaca. When he returned, his father and reverend mother welcomed him back to his home. They asked about all that had happened, how he had suffered the wound, and to them he related it fully. Told how the boar with its white tusk wounded him while he was hunting, when he had gone with the sons of Autolycus up to Parnassos.